we are going to be back in our series through the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians this morning. And uh, that series is called Holiness, Hostility, and Hope. Have you ever heard somebody, I wonder, say something to the effect of, hey, listen, I'm, I'm cool with God or I'm, I'm good with Jesus. Um, I'm just not into organized religion. Has anybody heard something like that? I think most of us have. Uh, my, my, in my experience, when somebody says something like that, what they actually mean or what they're referring to is they, they've, they've likely been hurt. They've been uh, wounded in a church. And uh, let me just say, man, maybe, maybe that's you today. Like maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online and, and you find yourself kind of in that boat where you would say that. And if that's you, listen, I, I, don't, I don't blame you. The, the truth of the matter is that many churches today look very little like what I think Jesus had in mind when he designed his church. Now today, as we look at this portion of uh, 1 Thessalonians, the apostle Paul is going to, in a very helpful way, help us to unmuddy the water, as it were, to understand uh, what a church should be about, like what, what a church should look like, what a church family should really look like in this particular part of uh, this letter to the Thessalonian church. And so if you have a Bible, or maybe you have a Bible app, please go ahead and turn it on, open it up, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to get through chapter 3, verse 5. Now, <clears throat> if you've ever wondered why it is that I ask you to open your Bible, either in print or on, on your phone or whatever, even though we put all the Bible verses uh, on the screen. Uh, the primary reason we ask you to do that every week is because we want you to understand that Scripture at New Life is our highest authority. It's not me, it's not my dad, it's not anybody who ever stands up here on stage. And so when I'm, when I'm speaking up here, somebody else is speaking up here, I, I want you to be examining everything that I say against the Word of God. And if there's ever a contradiction, I want you to go with the word, not with me, right? Because the truth of the matter is I could even manipulate what I put up on the screen for you, but I cannot manipulate the Bible that's sitting in your lap. And so, in a sense, what we're trying to do is train you to view the scriptures as the highest authority in your life and the filter through which you view everything else uh, in, in this world. And so that's why we do that. Even though we put this stuff on the screens for you, we ask you to have a Bible or have your app open. That's our highest authority here. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump in. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. This is what the Apostle Paul, again, writing to these brand new Christians in this city where he just planted this brand new church, the city called Thessalonica. And these brand new Christians are under massive persecution. They're suffering greatly for their newfound faith in Jesus. And this is what the Apostle Paul, the great apostle, is writing them. He says this, but since we were torn away from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly, eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus? at his coming, is it not you? 
for you are our glory and joy. Now, I mentioned this briefly a couple of weeks ago that uh, when I was a, a mission pastor, we, we developed a strategic uh, partnership in a township, southern Paraguay, right on the Argentina border. Uh, super high crime rate, murder rate, prostitution, drug use, all that kind of stuff, less than 4% born-again Christians. And we partnered with a church planter, young guy uh, named Jonas or Honas down there. So for the three years, man, I can tell you, uh, especially the first few trips where we got on an airplane and we kind of got in the bus or the van and started driving, there was like this anticipation going like when we're, man, I, is that church still there? Like, is, is Honas still there? Has, has he bailed? Are those, those 30 kind of core church members, are they, are they still standing strong, man? Like, are they still gathering? Are they still being a light in that really dark community? Man, I hope when we get there, what we find is this, this vibrant community of faith. And by God's grace, um, that small church was, was strong. And as far as I can tell, just following them on social media today, they still stand as a light in that community uh, even to this day, man, we, we came to really know and love those brothers and sisters and their kids and their families over those years where we were doing ministry and church planting down there in that township. And I think that's probably just kind of like a small picture, a small window into how the apostle Paul must have felt about this brand new church plant in Thessalonica that he had just been painfully ripped away from. I, wanna, I want you to listen kind of as we go back, look at verse 17. Listen Listen to the pain in his voice as he writes this. But since we were, we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person but not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Now the language that Paul uses there that we translate uh, torn away is actually a graphic word of a child being ripped from the arms of his or her parents and then orphaned. Right? Is, there, is there a more devastating picture than you can imagine than, than seeing a small child being ripped from the arms of a mom, both wailing and crying and screaming, trying to reach for each other? I can't think of a more painful image in my mind, and yet that's the image that the Apostle Paul uses. He's going, guys, listen, that, that's how I felt when I was forced to leave you. I felt like I was being ripped away from my children. It was, it was traumatic. It was devastating. And over and over again, we see Paul's deep love and care for these brothers and sisters throughout this letter. And for us as modern day American Christians, that might seem odd to us at first. It's kind of strange. But you gotta remember that the Apostle Paul was not like a traveling evangelist who would just kind of come in for weekend services and preach the gospel and see people saved and then three days later he kind of blows out. That's not how he operated. He would go into these cities and he would stay with these people for weeks on end, sometimes months on end. He shared meals with them, right? He was, he was in their homes. He knew their kids' names. He taught them the gospel. He personally discipled them and his love for them was very real and very deep, so much so that he was devastated. When persecution broke out, he was forced to flee. And I think there's a huge practical application even here for us in terms of what the church should be about and what the church should look like. So Paul shows us that we as believers must, and this is truth number one on the screens for us, as believers, we must cultivate a deep, love for one another, a deep love for one another. Did you know there were, there are 59 one another statements in the New Testament alone? 
59. Things like love one another, forgive one another, be patient with one another, bear one another's burdens, be kind to one another. And on and on it goes 59 times. Do you think that maybe, just maybe, the Lord is really trying to communicate something vital to us with all these one another statements and commands? The reality is, listen, being a part of this incredible family of faith called the church, being a part of this sometimes dysfunctional family, this broken family, this incredible and messy family of people who love Jesus means cultivating this deep love for one another like Paul did with the Thessalonian church, which guys, listen, isn't always easy. Because I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but you're not always super lovable. Especially you Duke fans out there, definitely not love. No, and guess what? Neither am I. I'm not always super lovable either. And yet, this is the calling as recipients of radical grace. We're called to then embody that same radical grace with each other as a picture of who God is to the world around us. And isn't that why Jesus said, hey, listen, guys, the world is gonna know that you belong to me. The world will know that you're my disciples by how you what? By how you love each other. How you care for each other. When it's easy, when it's hard, when the people in your community group are stubborn and annoying, not that anybody in your group would ever be that way. And how you love each other in those moments when it's easy, when it's hard. Man, this is the picture that we paint for the world of who Jesus is and what his kingdom is actually like. And so let me just ask you this morning, is, is church for you, when you think about church, is church a building, like a, the building that we're sitting in right now? Is church a building for you that you drive to? On Sundays, is, is church for you an event that you attend for an hour on Sunday morning? Or is church for you a family on mission with Jesus, with whom we get to one another, one another? We get to care for one another, love each other, forgive each other as a picture of Jesus' kingdom to the world. Now, as, as Paul really sort of encouraged and celebrated these brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, let me just pause for a moment and let me, let me encourage and celebrate you as my brothers and sisters here at New Life Community Church. Because I consistently get to see you guys love one another and care for one another and forgive each other and give each other grace and serve our city and live generous lives with one another and with the outside world. I got to experience just a little taste of this uh, this last week as my family had COVID, man. We did, didn't even ask. We didn't even put anything out. And man, all of a sudden, meals are showing up left and right. People were calling and texting, just checking in on us. Man, it was, it was incredible. It was humbling to feel that kind of love and care from our church family. I know many of you have experienced that same thing through your community group or Bible studies or friendships that you have here. I just want to say, you guys, are, you guys are walking this out. I want to say, good, good job. I want to encourage you. This is, this is great. This is what we should be about. I want to say, let's keep going. Let's go even deeper in cultivating a deep love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ as we press into a brand new year, 2022. Now, one more thing in the beginning here that I think we can't miss before we move on. Look back at verse 18 with me. Paul writes this, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, listen to this. He's saying, I wanted to come to you again and again, but Satan hindered us. 
And what Paul is saying to these believers is what I want to say to you this morning. Guys, listen, there is an unseen realm all around us where a war is being waged for your very heart and mind. In the very heart and mind of your kids and your grandkids and everyone that you love. And I think for us as kind of post-enlightenment Westerners in 2021, who've only been taught and trained in our university systems to value the physical world, what we can touch, taste, smell, and see, this is a really hard reality for many of us to wrap our brains around. Like, I'm sure some of you out there right now are thinking, Chris, are you, <laughs> you're educated, bro. Are you, are you telling me that you believe in angels and demons and like a spiritual war that's happening all around us that we can't even see. And what I'm saying to you this morning is, yes. Yes, absolutely. And having lived in Southeast Asia for two and a half years, man, I could stand up here and tell you story after story that would just make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. But here's all I'm trying to say this morning, believer, and this is truth number two on the screens for you. We have to be alert to the enemy's tactics because we do have an enemy and he is very real. And I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that much of what we attribute in our lives to bad luck or unfavorable circumstances is actually warfare being waged from an unseen enemy. There's this fascinating story in, in Daniel chapter 10. I came across a few uh, years ago. It just kind of blew my mind, but some of y'all are familiar with this. But Daniel is this godly man. He's, he's praying to the Lord and finally an, an angel shows up uh, to him, and he, and he says to Daniel, hey, listen, I, the Lord heard your prayer and sent me to answer your prayer, but I was delayed for 21 days by the prince of Persia. Speaking about a, a very real, very personal, very demonic power. He says, I, I was held captive by the prince of Persia until Michael, this bigger, stronger angel, came and freed me to come to you. Now, that, that's mind-blowing, isn't it? The story where Daniel prays, God sends an angel to answer his prayer, a demonic power intercepts the angel and prevents him from getting to Daniel for three entire weeks until Michael, like this Navy SEAL bad angel shows up and kicks the Prince of Persia's butt and releases the other angel so he can finally go answer Daniel's prayer. This is mind-blowing, but the Bible is full of stories like this that describe a very real enemy and a very real war that is being waged all around us. I want you to listen to what the uh, apostle Peter writes, one of Jesus' best friends. Peter writes this, believer, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why, Peter? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion lion seeking someone to devour. That word devour is like ripped from limb to limb. That's what our enemy is up to in your life. That's what he's up to in your son's life, in your daughter's life, in your grandkids' life, in your friend's life. Seeking someone to devour, to destroy. Paul writes this to the Ephesians in chapter uh, six of his letter to the Ephesian church. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Listen to this. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if the day of evil comes in your life, when it comes in your life, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, and be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Y'all, we, we have a very real enemy and we are waging a very real war that we can't see. And the fact that some of us are unaware, the fact that some of us are unengaged in this just ensures that we're gonna keep on getting our butts kicked spiritually, right? There's this a really famous line from a, a 90s movie. I'll put it on the screen for you. I thought it was really good. It says it's the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Friend, be alert to his activity in your life and those around you so that you might wage effective counter warfare against your enemy because he is real and he's active and he's present in this world. Look at verse 19 as Paul continues. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming Is it not you? He's talking about the Thessalonian Christians. Is it not you? For you are our glory and our crown. Now, the type of crown that Paul is referring to here is the kind of crown that was awarded to the winner of a race or like an athletic match, like a boxing match. So in kind of modern terms, it might be like us winning a gold medal or somebody winning a gold medal today. And Paul's going, listen, guys, when I I stand before Jesus one day as my king and my judge, I want you to know, you guys are my gold medal. You guys are my crown. You're my joy. You're my glory, man. On that day when I stand before my Lord and Savior, man, I'm not gonna care how far up the corporate ladder I made it. I'm not gonna care how much money I had in the bank when I died. I'm not gonna care how many social media followers I acquired in life. On that last day, the only thing that's gonna matter to me is who I invested in spiritually for the sake of the gospel. And that's you guys. So proud of you guys. You're my gold medal. You're my crown. You're my pride. You're my joy. Man, this is a great reminder for us as modern day Christians in 2021. A good question for us to ask this morning, I think, would simply be if you're here, you're a follower of Jesus, man, who are you pouring into like Paul poured into the Thessalonians? Who are your Thessalonians? Who are you pouring into? Who is it that you're going to point to on that last day when you stand before the king and judge of this universe and say, Jesus, here's my crown. There they are. Look at them. And they're my, they're my pride and my, my joy. This, these are the people that I poured my life into and I gave my life away so that they would know you and follow you and love you. Man, I want, you to, I want you to listen to me. Whether you're here and you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years or whether you're here, you've been walking with Jesus for 30 days, You're a step ahead of somebody out there that could use you pouring into their lives. So let me just challenge you, man. If you're you're here, no, not everybody here is, but if you're here and you would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, yes, I'm a disciple, the challenge for you this morning is this. 
in 2022, would you find your Thessalonians? Would you find that, that one person or a couple of people, that one friend, maybe a, a classmate in your high school, your college, maybe a coworker, maybe it's your kids at home, and just intentionally, spiritually invest, kind of pour into them. And know this, man, you don't have to have all the answers. None of us do. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to show up, you have to care, you have to be willing to point them to Jesus. So would you find your Thessalonians this year, just like the Apostle Paul, and pour your lives into them in such a way that you could stand before your king one day and point to them and say, they're my crown, they're my joy, they're who I gave my life away to so that they would come to know you and follow you. Paul continues on as he steps into now chapter three, beginning in verse one. He says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. And so we sent Timothy. We looked at this three weeks ago. We sent Timothy, our brother, and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. Listen to this. That no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Destined for what, Paul? for health and wealth and all good things in life. Now he's talking about affliction. He's got, you guys, you, you know that we were destined for this. We were destined for affliction. Verse four, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just as it has now come to pass and just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Now listen, this teaching right here, what Paul just said, flies in the face of a lot of popular teaching across churches today, doesn't it? Because here's the message that you'll hear from platforms and stages all across our country today. Come to Jesus and all of your problems and all of your struggles will evaporate. Your life will be unicorns and rainbows and cash falling from the heavens. Jesus will fix all your relationship problems and he'll heal your body and he'll give you that dream job that you've always wanted. And that sounds really good. Like who's not gonna sign up for that? There's just one little problem with that pitch. Jesus never said any of those things. Read your Bible. Jesus never promised a life of ease or health or wealth on this planet. And so what happens, and I, and I get to see this all the time as a pastor, people who bite on this kind of prosperity gospel pitch, they, they believe that lie and then their life gets hard. And they don't know how to reconcile those two things, right? This, this prosperity gospel message that they've believed and the reality that their life has just gotten harder. And so what happens is they get shipwrecked by this. And so one of two things happens. And I, again, I see this all the time. Either they think something's wrong with them. Oh, I guess I, I, guess I just didn't have enough faith. <laughs> I guess I'm just not, I'm not faithful enough. I'm not a good enough Christian. I guess I just didn't pray enough. I didn't read my Bible enough. I didn't tithe enough. I didn't, whatever. I didn't serve enough. It's on me. It's my fault. And they live in, in guilt and shame and condemnation. Or even, even in a more sad way, they, they look at Jesus and they say, well, I guess this whole Jesus thing isn't real. 
And they end up, they end up walking away. And, and here's the problem with that. Here's the words that Jesus actually said. In this world, you will have trouble. That's the promise from Jesus. Follow me and things will get hard. Follow me and you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And so here's what I want to say this morning. Affliction, listen guys, affliction will either draw you closer to Jesus or it will prove that you never really knew him. Now, why do I say that? Because Paul is clearly saying that one mark among many of being an authentic disciple of Jesus is willingness to suffer for him. To walk through the afflictions of life, to walk through the persecution, to walk through the pain and the loss and still hold Jesus as your highest treasure in this life. And guys, I'm just telling you, I'm I'm more convinced now than I ever have before, the American church lacks a theology of suffering. The American church lacks a theology, a doctrine of affliction. Like, but for the most part, we just, we just don't talk about it. We come to church and we sing happy, clappy songs. We put on our little plastic smile and we high-five each other and we pretend like everything's okay. We come into gatherings like this or our small group or Sunday school class or whatever it is and it's, how you doing, brother? Oh, God is good. How you doing, sister? Oh, God is great, man. We talk in platitudes. Meanwhile, our marriages are in shambles at home. Just screamed at my kids on the way to church. Hate my job, depressed half the time. Man, we, pre- we pretend like everything is okay when it's not because, listen, we don't have a theology, we don't have a category for suffering or affliction in our spiritual world. And if I understand this right, what, what Paul just said is, guys, we were destined for this. Like, like this, is just, this is just part and parcel of following Jesus. Like we shouldn't be surprised when we suffer or we step into affliction. Like, th- this was promised, Jesus told you it was coming. This is part of the deal. And so here's the last truth that I wanna give you this morning. I'll also be on the screens for you. Number three, believer, when affliction walks into your life, not if it walks into your life, when affliction walks into your life, embrace it as a pathway to know Jesus better. When you step into that season of darkness and pain and loss, when it seems like the tears will never stop, when that season comes in your life, and I promise you, it will come. When it comes, embrace those moments as a pathway to know Jesus better. I I love this uh, quote from Charles Spurgeon who said this, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Spurgeon is saying, look, I've I've learned to, to look at affliction in the face. I've learned to look at pain and sorrow and loss in the face. And if it drives me closer to Jesus, I look it right in the eye and I give it a kiss. Like, thank you, God for bringing the suffering into my life so that I could know you in a deeper way that I never would have known you otherwise. And what a, what a deep way to, to filter the sorrows and pain and what a mature way to see the, the things that happen in our lives as followers of Jesus. And in 1858, there was a, a Scottish missionary young guy by the name of John G. Patton. And uh, he felt like God was, was calling him to become a, a missionary to an island of peoples that were, were cannibals in the 1800s. And so everybody in the circle uh, said, John, don't go. You're a young man, you got a young wife, you have an infant son. This is a suicide mission. You'll, you'll never come back. Your life will be wasted. 
50 years that you could have poured into ministry will be gone because you'll be killed and eaten within days. He went anyway. Three months after their arrival on the islands, his wife died. A week later, their infant son died. He eventually uh, remarried, returned to the islands where he and his second wife served for 41 years. Today, 80% of the peoples on those islands profess Jesus as King and Lord. But before he left for those islands for the very first time, there was an older Scotsman that rebuked him for going, that warned him not to go because he would be eaten by cannibals if he went. And this is young John Patton's response to this older gentleman that told him not to go because he would be eaten by cannibals. This will be on the screens for you. This is his response. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen redeemer. Man, I love that, man. What, a, what an attitude. It's like, man, just bring it on. I know how the story ends. I know where I'm going. I know where my future is. I know where my hope is. It is secure. And so bring on whatever comes in this life. I have Christ and so I have it all. Listen, church family, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. You have a king who has conquered the world and all of its troubles. And so let's live our lives as free men and free women who have been redeemed by the shed blood of our Savior, learning how to endure affliction, being mindful of our enemy who is operating all around us, and learning how to love each other ferociously so that we could be lights in this dark age. Listen, guys, the Christian life isn't always easy, but it is the best, most rewarding life possible on this side of heaven. Let's pray, and then we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, we come to you. So grateful for your word that gives us truth. It doesn't just tell us what we wanna hear, tickle our ears. It gives us the hard truths that our hearts and our souls need. God, would you teach us how to love each other in a deep way. Not to just show up, worship with people around us for an hour and forget their names and move on with life, God, but teach us how to love each other, how to care for each other, how to serve each other, how to forgive each other. As a picture of who you are and what your kingdom is like to the world around us, God, would you teach us that love for one another is the highest apologetic to the world, that this is how the world will know that we belong to you, that we have a supernatural love for each other in the family of God. Teach us to love each other well. God, would you help our minds to be alert to a very real war that's being waged around us? Would you help our spiritual eyes to be able to see the activity of the evil one, 
our enemy who lurks around every corner and crevice of this world, seeking who he might destroy, God. Help us to see his activity for what, what it is, not to just downplay it as bad luck or unfortunate circumstances, God, but that we would see his hand in our lives and in our minds, the thoughts that we have, the actions that we do, the lives of our kids and grandkids and people that we know and love, God, and we'll be able to really wage war, counter warfare against the evil one the way that you've called us to do. So God, would you give us eyes to see spiritual truth, spiritual realities. And then God, when we step into those seasons of sorrow and affliction, suffering and persecution, God, I pray that we wouldn't run away, that we wouldn't shake our fist in anger at you, God, but that we would embrace those moments as opportunities to go deeper with you. We pray all these things for our good and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.